The Button Ski Hanger is a patented ski storage fixture that safely stores alpine skis regardless of length, width, or shape. This means that your fat powder skis can now be stored next to your narrower carving skis, your race skis, and your kid skis. For more information, visit their website, buttonskirack.com. The Button Ski Hanger is also available for purchase at amazon.com. So make your purchase today. The button ski hanger is simply better for your skis. Hestra knows hands. For over 80 years, Hestra has been producing the highest quality, warmest gloves you can own. Crafted with durable, form-fitting leathers, they are made with the end user in mind. Don't let cold hands end a great day of skiing or snowboarding early. With hundreds of different options, you'll find a Hestra glove that fits your needs. Check out Hester Gloves at HesterGloves.com. That's H-E-S-T-R-A-G-L-O-V-E-S.com. Or at your local ski shop or wherever Hester Gloves are sold. Hester Gloves, taking care of your hands since 1936. Welcome to New England Ski Journal's Base Camp Podcast, presented by Country Ski and Sport. Ski season is here, and it's time to gear up at Country Ski and Sport. Shop now for your best preseason deals at any of their three locations in Hanson, Quincy, and Westwood, Mass. Or shop online at countryski.com. Welcome to New England Ski Journal's Base Camp Podcast, presented by Country Ski and Sport. Ski season is here, and it's time to gear up at Country Ski and Sport. Shop now for your best preseason deals at any of their three locations in Hanson, Quincy, and Westwood, Mass. Or shop online at countryski.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome into the New England Ski Journal's Base Camp Podcast. I'm Eric Wilbur. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Specian, who is here in studio. Mike, how are you? Doing awesome, Eric. Great. You know what? The whole country has been getting snow, finally. It's been awesome. We went through that drought. January is different this year, or was different this year. That We usually have the warming trend of January, and this year it was kind of, it was a little wet here and there, but by middle of the month, some systems started to change. I skied great powder up at Sugarloaf, great powder day at, at Wachusett earlier in the month of January. So yeah, it's been snow, and it's been a, it's, we've recovered very well from the doldrums we had in late December. Yes. So now yeah, well, I'd like to Chris, say... That you Chris, get... Christmas is behind us, thank goodness. Yes. That's that's a good thing. When I, when I look, I'm sure everybody's starting to plan their Western trips or have them planned. Four weeks ago, it was really suspect in Utah, in Colorado. No uh, longer. Yeah, no longer. <laughs> I mean, there is snow. I've been getting stuff from steamboat friends out there just sending me face shots left and right and i'm going oh i need to go it's it's funny i got i think i think i told you this i i have a treadmill at my house and i bought a tv over the summer just to kind of watch some some sports scores or whatnot as i'm running and i got into watching wimbledon over the summer and more recently australian australian open but what i've really been doing is going onto youtube and watching Everyone ski these powder stashes out in Utah and recording it. And it's been a fantastic way to get through five miles because you're just getting really fired up. So it's been great. And it's been, I've been, been lucky enough that it's, it's been a pretty productive winter all, all, so far. I know you haven't been lucky enough to get out there that much, but 
from what I've been out there, it's been fun and it's looking like it's going to be a nice, healthy February into March, April, May, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah, spring springtime at this point. Let's let's keep this thing rolling. Stay above or below freezing. I almost said above freezing, and <laughs> let these storms roll in with with snow. And knock on wood, we're going to have a great spring skiing, and I'm going to be out there with you. Absolutely, I get, I do have to relay one story from at Wachusett uh, earlier in in well. First weekend in January is what it was. The, 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 the storm we had produced 18 inches of powder in Wachusett. And, and I've heard people complaining about this, but I've never actually tangibly had one on a lift with me. And so it was a little, a little disturbing. We had someone join us on the lift who, on her backpack, had a Bluetooth speaker. Now, mind you, this is a Bluetooth speaker on her backpack that is blaring music that the rest of the chairlift can hear that the rest of the line can hear, that the rest of the slope can hear. And I'm just wondering, where are the the earphones? Where are the earbuds? Why can't we do this the way we've always done this? If you want to listen to music while you're skiing, fine by me. Just put buds in your helmet and have a go at it. Why do I have to listen to Nicki Minaj through your entire run when all I want to do is talk to my kids about what they want for lunch? And it really got me a little bit sort of on the old man ladder of ranting and railing about this. I'm not alone. I know I'm not alone because on a subsequent chairlift with, with someone on the, on, an, on another run the next day, I heard someone talking about, Oh, I've got to get my new Bluetooth speaker and her boyfriend or whoever it was said, Oh, and you should also put on the headphones. So I know that I'm not the only person, and obviously it's causing some strife within some relationships. But can we please agree that along with the please take off your backpacks when you're getting on the chairlift, no Bluetooth speakers. No, we don't want them because your music is your music. It's not my music. I love partying. I love hanging out with you. I love hanging out and listening to what you may have going on in those earbuds. But I don't want to listen to it. I don't want to listen to it at full volume. That's it. Buy some earphones. Well, rant over. Well, you you just got me going, man. <laughs> okay, I'm totally against earphones because of Skin, the inability to hear. The inability to hear. What if it is fed in through the helmet, so it's not as you still people, people people aren't paying attention to what's going on. It's distracted driving, in my opinion. Okay. Okay. And number two is. When you get on a lift, part of part of getting on a on a double with somebody that you've never met is the conversation. Sure. Part of getting on a quad is the conversation. And it's like sitting on the front porch. Some of my best conversations, some of the coolest people I've ever met have been on ski lifts. And um I'm just completely against riding with music um on the slopes. Or even on my bike. I won't do it. I've, you've got to be alert. And nature is one cool spot. If you sit there and listen, there's a lot of cool things going on. Yeah, I used to be headphones all the time. And just the, the, the way the music would drive me through the mountain, there's nothing like it. But I totally agree with you. Like every time I did it, I felt guilty. And my it would always be on low because you want to be aware. You don't want to be that person that's preaching awareness and be the idiot who's not doing it, anything but that. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I miss not having that music, but doesn't mean I'm going to 
strap a Bluetooth to my waist and make you listen to Fish from 1995. It's not going to happen, although it would be great. Hey, you know what? It, it might enlighten some people, a little fish. <laughs> would. But let me ask you this. It, we got some cold weather, mm-hmm. finally. I mean, we were warm as could be, and all of a sudden, late January turned cold, or mid-January, I should yeah. say. Yeah. So – I, I have to ask you this. You haven't gotten my heated socks yet. No, no, no. It'll be no. a game changer. But, but, I, but how? We, we talked about our Hestras that Hestra so graciously sent us. Mm-hmm. How were your hands on those cold days? Well, first of all, I, I do want to go back. During the weekend at Sugarloaf over MLK weekend, my big toes were so cold that all I could think of was Mike's heated socks and why I didn't have them. It's just my big toe. It's not the rest of the toes, just the big toes. But even so, yes, I would, I would have liked the socks. But the Hestras are just phenomenal. In fact, I was in the, the, the ski shop at the, at the base on my way out after skiing the morning on, on Monday. And there's this woman who is in desperate need of gloves. And she's like, I just need something warm. Please give me something warm. And behind the catch register is just a wall of Hestras. And I walked by with my pair and I looked at her and I said, you cannot go wrong because they are truly the best glove I've ever worn by far. Another little story to kind of give you a, a glimpse into the Eric Wilbur life of letting his equipment run too old. My 13-year-old son was so excited about these Hestras because it meant he was going to get my hand-me-down gloves, a, a, a dependable pair of gloves that have been with me for probably about nine years. So when we went skiing at Wachusett a few weeks ago, he put them on. That was step one. Step two was he asked for some the, the little hand warmers to pop in there at some point. And step three was, Dad, I have to go in because my hands are so cold I can no longer ski. And this was only about two hours. I gave him my Hestras, and we continued to ski the rest of the day. But I put on those old gloves, which up until March was decent enough for me, and I could could understand his pain. Like, why was he suffering through this? It made me again realize that you got to take assessment of what you're, why are you doing it if it's bringing you discomfort? One more little tale. I'm on the lift at, at Sugarloaf and this woman is adjusting a dial on her glove like this. And now back in the 80s, I had these sort of like temperature gloves. It would tell you like one to 10 how cold it was. This was no, this was actually, she was adjusting the heat in her gloves. She's like, yeah, I just need a little bit. And I think it was her son sort of said, you're really enjoying those, aren't you? And she was like, well, I, she was almost embarrassed to say that she enjoyed them, right? And he said to her something very simple. If it brings you more enjoyment, it makes it more uncomfortable, then it's worth the purchase. And I looked at him and I nodded and I said, you sound just like Mike Spieson. <laughs> you know what? We... We drive cars with power steering and power brakes now. Mm. Why would you not? <laughs> why would you not make your skiing experience? We don't get enough days well, on the hill. Why would you not want one? One more little thing, a confession from the Wilbur, the Wilbur, whatever you want to call it here, book of book of lies, or not book of lies, the book of of. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say the book book of. Come on, get with today. Yes. Okay. Kristen Almer we had on last week, and she was talking about skiing in jeans and how she grew up, and she was probably about 2021 20, skiing in jeans. And I I associate with that 100%. I When I went to Vermont in 1992 as a freshman, my, my first day, I remember skiing Toll Road 
one of my first days in jeans, in rear entry boots, and in probably some shell jacket that had no lining. And the people I were with, one of them still my best friends, I just can only imagine them looking and shaking their head in horror at what they had to ski with on this mountain and in this. It, it was not good. It was not good. So I think a little bit of that is still living inside me. Ugh. I don't know. I know. But, you know, we're talking about cold. We're talking about great gloves, heated socks. One of the coldest places I've ever skied. Jay Peak. Well, Jay, Jay Peak. I've had some pretty cold days. Sugarloaf. Yeah, I've had some really cold days. No, Stowe. Yes, of course. Where, because we have Stowe on. That's a cold spot. That's where having all of these creature comforts that actually enhance your skiing experience um, really stands out. It does. It, I mean, hundred percent. Like I, I as soon as I stepped on the mountain at Stowe in jeans with a little bit of dual fold underneath there, I felt something wasn't right. Like I had just jumped into a different portal where skiing was completely different and it was going to treat me a different way. hundred percent. I mean, Stowe has that pull. Stowe has that power that it just is. There's something about it, man. There really well, is. Well, Stowe has a history too. Yep. A history. For, first off, it's one of the iconic ski towns of New England. I mean, when you drive into Stowe, you just you look and you say, this is Vermont. Yep. Okay. But we are talking about something today, about 90 years of a ski patrol. Yeah, the Mount Mansfield Ski Patrol, 90 years old in 2024. It's actually older than Stowe Mountain Resort itself. So we're going to be celebrating that anniversary with a couple integral people. Mount Mansfield Ski Patrol Director Craig Fisher is going to be joining us. And uh, longtime patroller and Stowe historian Brian Lindler, who I was lucky to speak to, God, probably 13, 14 years ago. And he remains one of my favorite sort of phone call interviews that I'll kind of harken back to time and time just because it was so much fun to listen to him tell these stories that he's, he's told how many hundreds of times and written about hundreds of times and the excitement that he told these things with. That always lived with me. So I'm excited to have him back on the show and to discuss some Stowe history, which we will do about the Mount Mansfield Ski Patrol 90th anniversary right after this. At 4,237 feet, Sugarloaf is one of the largest ski areas in the east and second highest peak in the state of Maine, trailing only Mount Katahdin. Boasting over 1,300 acres of open terrain and a vertical drop of nearly 3,000 feet, Sugarloaf offers a wide variety of terrain for all ability levels. A historic winter is ahead with the debut of West Mountain. It's the largest terrain expansion in the Northeast since the late 1970s, adding 12 new beginner and intermediate trails, 88,000 feet of snowmaking pipe, and 246 HKD snowmaking guns. Sugarloaf is a destination not to be missed. Stay slopeside and plan your trip today at sugarloaf.com. Discover what you've been missing when you visit Burke Mountain, the last little corner of Vermont. Located only seven miles off Interstate 91, the slopes are closer than you think. Take advantage of their incredible midweek deals like $45 Monday through Friday lift tickets or Wicked Wednesdays where three people can ski or ride for the price of one. That's right. You and two of your friends can ski and ride for just 15 bucks a piece every Wednesday non-holiday. Incredible. To learn more, book your overnight stay at the Ski In, Ski Out Burke Mountain Hotel or purchase lift tickets 
visit skiburk.com. All right, welcome back to the program. Joining us on the Zoom line today, we're pleased to welcome Mount Mansfield Ski Patrol Director Craig Fisher and longtime patroller and Stowe historian Brian Lindner to talk about the 90th anniversary of the Mount Mansfield Ski Patrol. And here's a little bit of trivia. If you visit Ski Patrol headquarters in the Mansfield Base Lodge, you'll be standing in Brian's childhood bedroom. Brian, can you tell us a little bit about the unique way that you grew up? Yeah, sure. So that it was called the State Shelter in its day. It was built by the Civilian Conservation Corps. And we are located in the Mount Mansfield State Forest, where my father was the ranger for 20 years. And when I was growing up, the ranger lived in the base lodge. So that's where I grew up. And what is today the patrol room, as you said, was my bedroom as a child. That is absolutely amazing. What a great spot to grow up at one of the iconic spots for skiing in New England. And first and foremost, we want to say congratulations. 90 years, is it? It is. That That is just plain crazy. The great Dave Irons, former ski patroller, journalist, he passed away over, over the fall. He told me in 2011, skiers are a lot more likely to get hurt driving to the mountain than they will be on the hill. Skiing is a relatively safe sport. Ski areas are pushing that 60 million visitor mark. If there's a total of 50 deaths or catastrophic injuries, that's one in a million. Craig, I think the answer is obvious, but how much does the ski patrol contribute to that safety of skiing? Yeah, I mean, the real purpose of the ski patrols around the country and and really anywhere on the planet is to kind of help mitigate risk. We know that skiing is inherently a risky sport, right? I mean, people are on the side of mountains. They're on skis and snowboards, traveling at, at, at speed down. You're out in the woods doing all that stuff. So from the patrol perspective, it's really about identifying the hazards and, and the risks that are out on the mountains to mark them accordingly, uh, to inform the, the skiing and riding public about what they should expect and, and, and really sort of work that educational piece between the, the, uh, the padding and the signing that we do, the informational banners talking about slow zones and different stuff like that based on trail merges at the intersections, really all of those things over the years, the whole program has really evolved to kind of what you see today where there's a lot more signage out there than there used to be. But as we bring more new folks into the industry, which is really what we're trying to do, I mean, as a whole, the ski industry has been pretty flat for many decades with the number of people that ski and ride. So for the survival of our industry, it's really important that we try to bring more more families and, and new individuals who have never tried winter sports before, get them into it. And we need to help them understand what, what sort of risks and whatnot they're going to be encountering out there. And, and so that's really what we try to focus on. Well, the ski patrols in New England have done an incredible job of keeping keeping us safe, giving us a good quality of experience. Brian, can you tell the audience a bit about who Minnie Dole is and what prompted him to advocate for skier safety? Yeah, Minnie Dole, uh, Seamanot Dole was his name. He was an insurance executive from Connecticut who had a tremendous interest in, in skiing and in promoting skiing. And uh, in 1936, Minnie Dole got injured here at Stowe on the toll road, as a matter of fact, and had to be rescued. 
And he realized at that point the dangers, the inherent dangers in the sport of skiing and became very interested in it. And when he was asked to head a committee studying ski injuries for the Eastern Amateur Ski Association, I believe it was, he headed that committee and really became America's expert on skiing injuries very early in in the history of this sport. And taking it further, uh, many later became a member of the Mount Mansfield Ski Patrol here and used our model to design the National Ski Patrol system. So uh, NSP, National Ski Patrol, is actually based on the Mount Mansfield Ski Patrol. And then many later used the same model to design the uh, and create the 10th Mountain Division, America's ski troops in World War II. So he is crucial to ski patrolling and actually to military history in America. Amazing. So, and then Frank Griffin, Abner Coleman, Roland Palermo, these are names that if you've even spent a few days in Stowe, they're synonymous with, with the history in the town dating back to the creation of the ski patrol. Can you give us a little background on how the Mount Mansfield ski patrol began in 1934? Yeah, well, the water is a little bit muddy, and it's taken me decades, literally, to find old documents and sort through this. But to the best of my knowledge, somebody got injured very late in the day in the darkness on the toll road and had to be rescued in the winter of 1933-34, probably in the fall of 33. That person's name has been lost to history, but we do know the two folks that rescued him, Frank Griffin being one of them. And they hiked up, once they got word of the injury, they hiked up the toll road by kerosene lantern, towing along an old piece of corrugated roofing tin that they used as a toboggan. And they brought this person down the mountain. And it was at that point that all the early advocates here at Stowe, including the list that you just named, plus Bill Mason and others, said, if we're going to promote skiing here at Mount Mansfield and Stowe, we need to do something about safety and rescuing people that do get injured. So that became the impetus for on January 8th, 1934, when they incorporated the Mount Mansfield Ski Club to promote skiing here, that they included the language that created the Mount Mansfield Ski Patrol. So it was that injury that made everybody realize we need to create a patrol, and that's what they did on January 8th, 1934. 1934. Wow. Such a history. Craig, you have a little history there. You started skiing Stowe Junior High and joined the ski patrol there in 96. Tell us a little bit, what made you go that way? So a little incorrect on that. So I skied here one day in junior high. Um, <laughs> that counts as skiing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was... Uh, press release, Craig, though. So it's a very important day. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so I, I came here in junior high as a as a, a member of a, a race club at one of the other resorts over in the Northeast Kingdom. And I skied here. My, my parents actually grew up skiing here. They both grew up in Montpelier. So I skied here that one day. Regrettably, I, I never actually had skied Stowe prior or since until I moved here in the fall of 1995. And I came into town. I, I started skiing here that year. Really kind of fell in love with the resort and, and the mountain and the terrain. The following summer, summer of 96, I actually moved into an apartment next door to a house full of ski patrollers. And I got to know them that summer, and they were like, well, you ought to join. 
And as such, I, I tried out that fall. I got my medical certifications. And that, that winter of 96, 97 was my rookie year here on the patrol. And in one manner or another, I've been involved with the patrol ever since. That's great. Now, the Mount Mansfield Ski Patrol, it's unique because it's older than the resort itself. Brian, can you describe the unique nature of that club's relationship with whoever has owned Stowe in the past? Yeah, sure. Yeah. The Mount Mansfield Ski Club was a group of very early ski enthusiasts here in central Vermont that wanted to promote skiing, particularly on Mount Mansfield. And they're the ones that incorporated the club. And their goal was to promote skiing, as I said, on Mount Mansfield and in Stowe, create the ski patrol. And they, over the years, have done a number of things before there was really a ski resort. Like they they got Sepp Rush to come here from Austria to create a ski school here at Stowe. And over the years, the MMSC, the club, has evolved to the point where today its goal is they run a ski academy and we're trying to produce Olympic world-class ski racers here at Stowe. Over the decades, the club has been supported in numerous ways by the the owners of Stowe Mountain Resort, and it's always been just a, a fantastic relationship. When they produce big racers in the ski club, Stowe Mountain Resort traditionally gets some credit for that. Billy Kidd of Stowe, for example, is a prime example. Pretty good example with a little history there in Billy the Kid. So we, we've all skied Perry Merrill. I mean, I'm just learning something in this whole conversation here after skiing Stowe probably 50 times in my life. Perry Merrill, who was he and what was his uh, connection to the hill? Well, Perry was, I actually knew him as an acquaintance because he was my father's boss. He actually hired my dad to be the ranger here. Perry Merrill was a, a forestry student, a forestry graduate. He had studied in Scandinavia and saw what the Scandinavians were doing with their hillsides uh, and ski trails. And when he came back to America, he became the uh, commissioner of forestry here in Vermont and decided to make it his mission to start promoting skiing as he had seen in Scandinavia on Vermont mountains. And in particular, he looked at Mount Mansfield and his friend, a guy named Charlie Lord, who was an engineer and a surveyor that had been laid off by the highway department in Vermont during the depression. And uh, he looked at Charlie to help design a trail or trails here on Mount Mansfield and then you have the creation of the Civil Civilian Conservation Corps, the CCC, by President Roosevelt during the Depression. Charlie, Charlie Lord, was a supervisor in the CCC. Uh, his boss was Al Gottlieb from Stowe, who wanted to promote skiing in the Stowe area. And the, the, the whole thing kind of gelled together with Perry Merrill creating these ideas for projects that the CCC could undertake and one of them was having the CCC under Charlie Lord cut the Bruce Trail on Mount Mansfield. They started November 1, 1933. They cut throughout the winter. They finished at February 1st, 1934. And that became the first purpose-built ski trail in the state of Vermont, right here on Mount Mansfield. Wow. Craig, what were some of the different requirements to joining the ski patrol? Like, I, I know there's the toboggan test. What sorts of things over the years would you say have you 
do you still require now versus what they did maybe 75 years ago? Yeah, I, I think the general requirements are, are very similar since the inception in, in 34, the requirement for back then it was basic first aid. Since then, the medical training has evolved. We are a licensed first responder service for the state of Vermont here. We practice to an advanced EMT level. Uh, so our basic requirement is for all paid patrollers to have a, a basic EMS certification. We're very fortunate to have several advanced EMTs. We also have some paramedics, as well as some of our doctor medical advisors. Our volunteer program is based more on the national ski patrol model of the OEC, which is the outdoor emergency care program that the NSP teaches specifically for ski patrols. Basically, as the, as the technology and equipment has improved and evolved, we have always tried to be on the cutting edge of that, whether it's some of the devices that we're able to transport out onto the hill for life-saving uh, purposes or some of the advanced equipment that we have in our base areas. And, and really, I would say that that holds true for, for all the patrols throughout the country is, is they're always interested in, as protocols change within the state EMS systems, there's always that evolution of these emergency systems that we follow. Does does that mean you have Petroleum's National Registry EMS? Yes. Yep. Yep. So okay. every one of our EMTs or above are all part of the National Registry. And then you also get a, a state certification as well. Gotcha. Well, I'm I'm retired fire EMS, so that's why I asked that question. Yep. How many patrollers do you have on 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 the hill at any given time or in the coffer? Yeah, we right now we have approximately 48 or so full-time and part-time paid patrollers. We also have about 16 or 18 volunteers. Daily staffing just sort of ebbs and flows throughout the season based on how busy we are, what time of the year it is. Certainly during the holidays and the weekends, we have additional patrollers on the hill some of the midweek times, especially during sort of the, the January lull after MLK, we see sort of a natural dip in the in the skier visits year over year. So so we'll just sort of model that staffing based on what we feel our needs are. I will say I felt for some of your staff on day two of the season when there was one way down and I thought it was glorious. But you could see people that were not they were expecting the WROD and they got prime spring conditions on the second day. And I, and you could tell the ski patrol was a little bit like up in arms, like, what do we do with this one? What do we do with this one? So kudos to them for handling that situation. Yeah, there's there's nothing worse than spring conditions and fall legs, really, that need to sort of ski yourself into shape throughout the early season is always an imperative piece. And the last several years, we've, we've been challenged with having that warmer weather pattern at the start of the season. Our, our snowmaking team, does the best they can. We need Mother Nature to to provide cold enough temperatures to be able to make the snow, and then we will certainly do everything we can. But but yeah, the last couple of years, the out of the gates, it's been a little limited on the total amount of terrain we've been able to offer our guests. Well, I loved it, and it was, it was tremendous for me. But I felt for for the patrollers who were trying to deal with the clientele camaraderie on a on a ski patrol team. How important is that included with your Technical training. 
Yeah, it's it's a critical piece. Any 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 service that works this closely together, basically for 150 days straight, we're open seven days a week. Majority of our staff are seasonal, but but really, it's it it, it becomes a bit of a family environment. I mean, you really get to know these individuals well. Um, I mean, I'm 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 pleased to say that the majority of the patrollers. They choose to spend time with each other outside of work. They raise their families with each other's kids. It, it really just creates this 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 sense of belonging to the organization, and and it, it's it's a very powerful thing. It's very very similar to the fire service all the way around. Sure. Which so, Brian, question for you: If people go off the backside of Mansfield, and you guys have to perform stuff that is really outside your day in, day in, day out routine. How many times have you seen that happen, and how how do you deal with it? Well, it happens maybe once or twice a winter, I would say, on average. It's been going on since the 1930s. It's nothing new. Our first responsibility, obviously, is to here in the resort, However, many members of the Mount Mansfield Ski Patrol are also on backcountry and technical rescue teams. So if we can assist, we always do. And it, it, generally, it's a lost hiker or, excuse me, a lost skier. And we'll dispatch patrollers that are familiar with that area of the mountain to go out and start looking for them. And then we team up with whichever local team, normally Stone Mountain Rescue, uh, that's actually handling the official search in itself. So, so you work within a chain of command to some degree or another? And, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And we will often, we, we get folks that kind of pop off the, the perimeter trails and, sure. and get lost relatively close to the resort. That happens on a, on a regular basis, kind of throughout the winter, as soon as the snowpack allows. And, and we will often be able to directly affect those rescues ourselves. We actually had a couple just last weekend. Um, I think a lot of what Brian was referring to was we'll have people that will use the resort to access the ridgeline of the resort and will accidentally go down over the backside onto the underhill side or, yep. or we'll get so far out that we're really not in a position to be able to affect that. So as Brian mentioned, we do have members of our team that are involved in those backcountry rescue teams. They will often take the point on that. We will activate those other municipal systems and we will offer whatever support we can. Yeah, you just answered my question, actually. I was wondering how you prompt that from happening from the get-go. So thank you. Uh, well, question for you here. We see it out west with gated off side country. Jackson Hole or wherever, does does Stowe ever struggle with that part of it? I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've come off the gondola and went up to the chin. I mean, yeah. I, I can't tell you. It's, it's, it's a zillion. Yeah. Uh, how, how do you control who's in those situations? Uh, being the guests or the Yeah, staff? the guests. Yeah, it, it's limited in what we can control. So we do have informational signage at the primary points where people access the side country from the resort. We, we try to offer some level of education, but, but really at the end of the day, once enough people go out one of those traverses, the, the, the folks that aren't really sure where they're going, they just tend to follow those tracks. That is what often leads to the to the nearby rescues that we get just outside of our boundaries. But to, to that point, that is when 
people start to get out farther and farther and farther out of our out of our zone. And once they get to a certain point, if it's not something that we can sort of mitigate rapidly on our own, that's when we need to incorporate the other municipal services. Sure. Well, I almost forgot to show you that I'm wearing my, my Sun Valley Snow Dogs sweatshirt here from the Sun Valley Ski Patrol, which I'm very comfortable sweatshirt. <laughs> and I love it. I wore it in, in tribute for the Ski Patrol. But I also have a question for it because you don't see the snow dogs anymore, right? They're, they're not wandering around anywhere. I wonder if there's any traditions that are long held in that Ski Patrol building that, that are that root back from 1934. Well, there might be a few, but a lot of those we don't really talk about anymore. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it, it, again, the, the the general mindset of the organization, I think, is still very similar. I mean, you have a you have a group of individuals who choose to come to this resort every year, year over year. Our our most tenured patroller right now, I believe, is on his fifty eighth season as a member of this organization. Wow, uh, and. He doesn't do it because he has to. He does it because he wants to. And, and, and really it, it's that camaraderie and it's that being a, being a member of the team that, that just draws people back year over year. And again, the, the, we have one of our volunteers lives down in Delaware and, and he comes up for blocks of time. We had a longtime patroller that lived locally that moved down to Alabama and he continued to patrol for almost 10 years. Uh, after he moved down to Alabama with his wife, because he just didn't want to stop doing it. And and when you when you have a, a room full of people like that, you just know that it's going to be a great day. Well, with that being said, because we're seeing it in the ski instructor wor- world as well, how do you recruit new people into it? Because so many of us are aging out of the business. How? What are you doing out there, Craig, to bring new people at this point into the ski patrol? Yeah, every year we have our recruitment cycle that happens through the through the summer and fall. We will often get people asking. They'll pop in throughout the winter and they'll they'll be inquiring about what does it take to be a ski patroller and and how can I do this? We get a lot of a lot of kids that are coming up through the college years. A lot of pre med students are interested in in doing stuff like this. And as well, we have folks that just are kind of going through a life change and just and just looking looking for a different opportunity, a different direction. So we vet them through the process. I mean, obviously, we need folks who are strong skiers and riders. You don't have to be technically flawless, like more of the things you're looking for on the ski school side of things. But we need you to be a, a strong skier or rider. We, you need to be able to work well. Uh, out in the elements. You need to be able to work well with others. You need to be willing to be part of a team. We have some very dynamic situations that we get involved in on some of our medical calls. And and really, those are bonding moments between the individuals that that are involved in those. So we this year, we actually started a pilot program of, of teaching a medical class in-house because up until this point, we, we sort of required folks that already had medical certifications. And an EMT license is about $1,000 to take an EMT course. And that's, that's, that's a big chunk of change for someone who thinks they might want to try something. So what we came up with this past summer was to have one of our, uh, one of our members who is also a training officer at our local uh, 
EMS service here in Stowe, actually created and taught a, an EMR program for our first year uh, patrollers this year. And we're, we're kind of getting through it. We're working out some of the bugs. But basically what that did was that offered us the opportunity to expand on our, our hiring pool and be able to say, well, this individual, you know, they, they think they want to be a patroller. They don't really have a medical background thus far, but they have a love of the outdoors. And so we're going to be able to in, inexpensively help them get a medical certification. They're going to get to try patrolling. And then if they get through the first two-year cycle of their license and they want to continue patrolling, then at that time we would have them move up into the uh, the EMT basic certification that historically has sort of been our minimum requirement. All right. Well, Craig and Brian, I want to thank both of you for, for joining us, uh, celebrating 90 years of Mount Mansfield Ski Patrol. If you go to Stowe's YouTube channel, there's a, a, a documentary that you, you're both in celebrating the, the, the anniversary. Part one's out. Is part two coming out anytime soon or is it, if I missed it? Yeah, I've I've seen the preview for the for the second one. It is getting ready to be released. I'm not sure of the exact timeline on that, but uh, but that one's really focusing more on just historical facts as well as just the, the role that women have played in the Mount Mansfield Ski Patrol really since the beginning. And and that's something we're very proud of as well. By all means, I mean the ski industry has been a male-dominated sport overall. But to see women involved at that level, and they are honestly some of the most passionate caregivers out there, which is what you want. Well, I've got a couple personal questions here before we go anywhere. I want to know from both of you, Craig, you probably never get to take the jacket off. But if you take that jacket off on a two-foot powder day and you get to put on your civilian jacket, where are you going to go ski? What's your run? Historically, my my favorite want run has been has been lift line, and lift line has gotten the better of me a couple of times over the years. So I have a rule where I I do not ski lift line first run of the day because I've had significant injuries on lift line on the first run of the day of, over the years. Lookout has always been one of my favorites, and and really over the last ten years or so, hayride has really started to come into into its own for me. So so I, I, I depending on the day and certain days, certain conditions, you know that certain trails were groomed early, others were groomed later. So when you have the inside track on the grooming plan, you sort of understand where the ebbs and flows are that you can kind of make your way down through and, and find some of the best snow on any given day. Sure. What about you what about you, Brian? What's you know that that light, cold snow that we get in northern Vermont, and you've got a foot and a half of new, where are you headed? Well, if if it's a foot and a half of new snow, I'm going to go over whatever they groomed the night before. There you go. This beautiful fresh powder on a groomed surface. I'll go anywhere that happens. That sounds delightful, but so does everything else. Brian Lindner and Craig Fisher. Craig, I, I thank you very much for joining us on the program. It's been a delight to have you both here. Craig, I'm, I'm actually fascinated the way you categorize Hayride because I skied Stowe during my college years, but never really addressed Hayride that much. And over the past 10, 15 years, that's been my go-to, like go to Hayride, go to Hayride. So maybe it's like, maybe it's made for older bones or something. I don't know, but it's a delight, Brian and Craig. Thank you very much for joining us on the show. Thank our, you. Our pleasure. Thank you so much. We will be right back. Don't go anywhere. 
Looking for expert ski, snowboard, and boot fitting advice? Stop into one of Country Ski and Sports' three locations in Quincy, Westwood, or Hanson, Mass. As a third-generation family business, Country Ski has provided Boston-area skiers with the best service and discounts in the area for over 50 years. Whether you are brand new to the sport or a seasoned veteran, Country Ski has the equipment and accessories for all ability levels. Don't forget to ask about their popular season lease program, which helps families eliminate the growing pains of purchasing new equipment every year as kids grow. And don't forget, any child 18 years or younger receives a free season pass to Saddleback Mountain with each lease from Country Ski. Visit CountrySki.com for all the latest information or to shop online. You know, Eric, Stowe is such an amazing place. It's it's one of the best hills in New England. And to know that the history of how it was created, the ski patrol, and listening to Brian tell us about that history was amazing. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm a, I'm a ski writer, so ski history is part of the fascination for getting into this work in the first place. So when you recognize the the power and the direct lineage of the Mount Mansfield Ski Patrol to the 10th Mountain Division and understand the sort of strong skiing history that we live in here in New England. It's funny because it's East Coast, East Coast, Ice Coast, and people like to make fun of the East Coast. But in many, many ways, you look at, at what we've delivered in terms of ski patrol and, and medication and in terms of athletes. And East Coast is where it's at. It really is. And so... To find that sort of history in a place like Stowe where it's so rich and to have them celebrate it, I think, is particularly, I want to say thankful, but I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that Stowe recognizes this, in especially what it has in, in Brian and, and the wealth of knowledge in him, to discuss this history that is so important to this mountain. And I think a lot of times we it doesn't get at the sort of the attention it get it 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 should get because we're looking at other things i think with the town itself of stone yeah the history of new england as a whole and stowe in this particular situation it has been a driving force for the country i mean from the ski trains into north conway from the europeans coming over and setting up ski schools here to the ski patrol at Stowe. It has set the benchmark for what we know as the American ski industry. This was a, a, a story I told in a recent story I wrote on Stowe, but it's probably best to tell here as well to kind of close it out and, and encompass Stowe in a certain way. I, I told you this a few weeks ago that my wife and I were walking around the village and there was a sign there that says, coming soon, Starbucks. Now, a Starbucks in downtown Stowe Village just seems very out of place. And we know the history of McDonald's on Mountain Road and Vermonters sort of long time resistance to corporate America. I mean, you only have to read up on the Walmart situation to understand how strong that passion is. And Stowe obviously is a place that's changed a lot in the past 10 years. And I remember a Stowe that was stuck in the 1970s and 70s decor and oranges and yellows and ashtrays and sunken living rooms and it was it was kind of kitschy and fun at the same time to dive into real skiing history 
And so change at Stowe has been pretty rampant over the past 10 years to the point where sometimes you can't even recognize certain places. A lot of bed and breakfasts have gone out of business. Restaurants don't exist anymore. And it's part progress and it's part just a way of life. My final day in Stowe, the woman that was checking us out at the hotel, it was a hotel where my wife and I got married in 2002, Top Notch Resort, which is has some of the best views of, of Stowe. The woman that was checking us out looked at me and said, I worked your wedding about 20 years ago, correct? And I looked at her floor and I was like, you, you got to be kidding me. She said, no, no, no. I remember it was downstairs. You had the big white cake and this and that. And I was just like, wow. I said, well, my wife is outside taking pictures right now. It's, it's all good. She's like, well, I'm glad things have worked out for you. And it just, it, it floored me, right? Because no matter how much Stowe changes or no matter how much Vermont changes or no matter how much we try to instill a certain tag on someone or something or whatever, you know what, you know what I'm trying to get at. There's always that, that something there, right? The reason why you fell in love with this place in the first place. And just by saying that to me, it was like everything that changed about Stowe came full circle. And Stowe's the same place. It's the same place it always was. Well, there's been a lot of changes at Stowe, and you and I have had this conversation. The bottom line is the town of Stowe is still the town of Stowe, and the mountain is truly still the mountain. Absolutely. Okay. When when you get up in there, and it's amazing how the front four is really such an iconic spot, and Craig said lift line. Mm-hmm. National uh, hayride. hayride, all of that, right down off that quad. But it is, even when you're there in the summer, it is still one of the most beautiful spots. When I when I take a bike ride and ride through the notch on my road bike, I'm I'm just awed yeah. on the on the painful climb as I'm looking around, going, "Will it end?" Uh, but it's it's such a beautiful location and. For the Stowe Ski Patrol to have a 90-year anniversary and basically set the tone for ski patrol across this country, hats off to you guys. Congratulations on 90 years. And we're this podcast, Eric and I, are glad to be celebrating with you. Now we got to come back in 10 years, though, for the 100th anniversary because that's going to be the big one, right? Oh my goodness, that's a long ways away, man. <laughs> Not as long as you think. Don't believe, don't believe the hype. Michael, thank you very much for joining us. Eric, that was great. Thank you, Craig and Brian and Stowe Ski Patrol for all you do. Absolutely. Congratulations. This was the New England Ski Journal's Base Camp Podcast. I am your host, New England Ski Journal editor Eric Olber. We will see you next time and enjoy the skiing. New England Ski Journal's Base Camp is a Siemens Media Podcast. Siemens Media. Inspiring, informative, insightful.